0: Welcome to Talking Humanitarianism, in this podcast you will hear from a range of humanitarian researchers and practitioners sharing their reflections on different humanitarian issues from conflict and disaster, migration and displacement, health and the environment to humanitarian aid and governance. This podcast series is an initiative of the Research Network on Humanitarian Efforts of the Norwegian Centre for Humanitarian Studies. The NCHS is a collaboration between the Christian Mikkelsen Institute, the Peace Research Institute Oslo, and the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs, and is funded by the Research Council of Norway.
1: Hello and welcome to this podcast mini-series, analysing humanitarianism through the lens of private resilient development, cases from Kenya. My name is Edwige Martin, I'm a PhD candidate at the Norwegian University of Life Science and the host for this podcast. Together with colleagues at the Norwegian University of Life Science and the Peace Research Institute Oslo, through this podcast we bring together humanitarian actors, scholars, development practitioners, community leaders and civil society actors to discuss the implications of climate resilient development for humanitarian policy and action. Three case studies in the Kenyan drylands are used to explore different dimensions of the enabling conditions which underpin climate resilient development. In the first episode of this mini series, Professor Siri Eriksson described climate resilient development.
2: Climate resilient development is a concept concept that's been brought to the forefront, especially the past ten years, and in particular in the most recent IPCC assessment report. And it really talks about how we need to shift. Development, a different form of development that places both climate risk and sustainable development at the center of how we do development. So it's a form of development where we mobilize adaptation and mitigation to support sustainable development. But when we talk about sustainable development here, it's a deeper form of development in terms of ensuring well being. Uh, reduced poverty, ecosystem health, equity and justice, low global warming levels and and lower risk. So multiple dimensions of what sustainable development or climate resilient development outcomes look like.
1: In this second episode, we are travelling to Turkana County in the northwest of Kenya with a special guest.
0: My name is Denis Kuchengonyangongage. I am the to Observatory coordinator for the REACH program, which is a joint research initiative between University of Nairobi and Oxford University, focusing on water security. So the program carries out research activities on water related issues, water sector development, climate change risks, and how to address these issues. Furthermore, I am also, um, my background is in, uh, climate change science and I'm currently pursuing climate change and adaptation at the University of Nairobi at a doctoral level.
3: And so for someone who's never been to Turkana County, how would you describe the environment you're working in and some of the communities you're working with?
0: Turkana mainly consists of a a pastoral community uh, that are highly dependent on uh, livestock. Uh, Their livelihood is mainly rearing livestock, that is cows, goats, sheep, camels. And uh, these are animals that they depend on for their well-being. That's economic. And uh, Tukana generally is a dry land. It's uh, an arid and semi-arid area experiencing uh, extreme climate variabilities. As there are instances where we've had uh, extreme droughts, like now drought is a serious challenge in the Northern Kenya. And there are instances we've had extreme flooding events, especially in 2019, 2018, and 2020, when flooding affected or impacted on various areas within the county, among them Tukana Central, where livelihoods were severely affected it's a county that borders uh with many borders both international and and uh and local or per se national internationally it borders sudan ethiopia and uganda while locally or nationally it borders baringo pokot samburu and masabit This, therefore, means there is a serious exposure to various climate change-related issues, especially at social level, given that uh, these people have to move with their livestock because they are pastoralists. They have to move with their livestock from one point to another in search for pasture, and uh, that's grass and water. So this has, in certain instances, resulted to conflicts. Uh, between the community and uh, the people they are bordering.
3: Thank you. Um, And I think you've mentioned the current drought, of course, um, that is ongoing in Kenya, but also some flooding events. Um, In the past, what are some of the humanitarian responses that have been implemented in Turkana?
0: A number of um, humanitarian responses that have have been implemented. To start off with, I will mention institutions, that are key or keen on addressing these humanitarian issues we have the national government we have the county government we have unhcr we have kenya red cross and many other state actors and non-state actors that's ngos and the ngos unicef included world food program that are greatly keen on addressing humanitarian challenges affecting especially drought affecting this region some of the responses have been uh provision of water which is a serious challenge to kind of on groundwater and given the extreme droughts the drawdowns are the drawdown challenges have led to collapse of various water points that have even been constructed for these people to help them uh you know gain get water for their livestock so there are a number of studies that are ongoing there are a number of drilling activities that are ongoing to help in water provision and ensure water security for the local communities. It's important to mention on the back of this that uh, this also needs a lot of control because again with uh, the existing aquifers which are very fragile given the drought scenarios, extreme drilling can result to again destruction of the aquifers and that could lead to a major problem, environmental crisis in future. So yes, indeed there are a number of activities, among them drilling as I've mentioned, that really are good but need to be checked by the various relevant agencies. Then we have um, other humanitarian response activities, including provision of uh, household items. And this mainly happens for the refugees Trukana hosts one of the largest refugee camps in Kenya. That's the Kakuma refugee camp. And uh, actually, it's one of the largest in Kenya and East Africa. And uh, Kakuma hosts very many refugees. So there are are very many agencies that are offering uh, support, both psychosocial, counselling, provision of uh, household items to just ensure that the refugees having good life that they deserve there are also peace and conflict resolution uh, activities that are ongoing to kind of within the karamoja cluster these are communities that are pastoral by nature they depend on livestock and they keep moving from one point to another there are a series of conflict resolution activities that have been taking place both by the national institutions county institutions and uh, other non-state actors ngos and uh, international NGOs and faith-based organizations that are really pushing to scale to ensure that uh, peace exists within these communities as we know given the many borders as i've mentioned earlier there have been very many You know conflict incidences, and just to mention locally within Tukana itself, towards the election that we just concluded, there were series of you know conflicts, especially in Tukana East, and the far flung zones, Tukana South, and uh, far north, with Tukana East being more violent, and Tukana South, where the populace in fights with the the local communities, the local Tukana communities. There are series of raids uh, resulting to even deaths, assault attacks, and very many you know, conflict-related crises that have been of concern, both to the community, the regional or local government, that's the county government, and national government. These have just been addressed through uh, the normal peace, or the, per se, the peace initiatives within the county. But... To some point, especially when the droughts are extreme, it really becomes worrying because the trends always go high, go up.
3: Um, that's really interesting what you mentioned about um, different actors uh, coming to 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 assist in different ways. Um, I was wondering if you could tell more as well about the evolution since 2010. Um, how has this affected also the way that humanitarian responses are implemented?
0: Devolution has been very critical in bringing down power down to the lower levels. But it, there are a lot of political, uh, political economy, you know, outplays that come with it. Uh, with devolution, for example, the county government was established and we have various, uh, you know, sectors, environment, water, health, sanitation, peace. We have disaster response in very many other sectors within the county government these offices have been empowered to be able to respond to any form of you know eventuality or crisis that arise humanitarian crisis that arise within uh tsukana county but with all that it's important to mention that given the political and economic context of the region and the social aspects that are played The devolved system of governance has faced a series of challenges, and among them uh, is uh, funding. There are certain sectors or prioritisation mechanisms while planning. The priorities are not really highly pitched on humanitarian response because the needs that are there for the local community and the county government are so much that sometimes they veer off and end up now, you see, addressing these other problems, while the pending crisis sometimes remains only at discussion level or policy level. And that's why, you see, the peace caravans and the peace discussions uh, have had challenges, because the funding for implementing some of these activities can be very expensive. Again, what are the... National and uh, sub national interests in all this. How is the national government coming in and how much is it willing to fund within the county to be able to respond to conflicts and humanitarian issues within uh, the region? So, devolution has in a way helped because the resources and various uh, related activities that could result to you know crisis for example conflicts and extreme events like droughts and floods are being addressed well their system their institutions but it's important to mention that even within that there have been conflicts or conflicting institutional mandates within the county government itself so that's within the line ministries and also between the national government and the county government, sometimes there is push pull on who is to take responsibility on what and these are some of the issues that in a way also derail uh, the process of humanitarian response activities, because those power relations and power dynamics that exist within these institutions, everyone wants to play their role, and sometimes there is a tug of war between one institutions and the, one institution and the other over who should be? take what responsibility and who should take what, you know, wrong.
3: You've given us a really nice overview of some of the broader, um, also political factors that come to to play, Um, but I was wondering as well, what are some of the broader dynamics of change um, that are also important to understand in relation to these communities' ability to adapt to increasing risk over time?
0: In terms of change, I think one of the key Dynamics uh, and, and changes that, uh, that greatly impact on their adaptive capacity has been loss of livestock to the extreme climate events. and I would mention, for example, recently in the month of May June thereabout the county the community members lost a lot of livestock because of the extreme you know temperature variations. It rained. This is a hot place that temperatures are almost more than 32 plus. So when it rained, the temperatures went down. Then all of a sudden, given that it's a dry a dry land, the temperatures rose up. But the animals could not adjust, their bodies could not adjust to these temperatures. We lost in thousands of livestock across the county. Very many, over 30,000 livestock. What does this mean for a pastoralist or a pastoralist uh, household? It means that whatever they depend on as their source of money, the livestock or the animal that they could sell for income or to get some money is gone and they have nowhere to turn to. That's a livelihood that is severely impacted. on, And some of these people even end up developing health problems after such losses. But are our health mechanisms our humanitarian response mechanisms or the systems in place within the county able to 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 come in and and you know uh, address such issues and be able to you know recovery models do we have sufficient climate change uh, insurance mechanisms that can help such people? These are systems that are not yet you know, set up, they are not in place. And even our response mechanisms, per se, within the county, are more reactive than proactive. We'll come in to just talk about it, to discuss it within the boardrooms, or per se, come up with short term solutions. But in the long run, how do we get back this household that has lost 10, 50, 60, 100 animals to flooding or extreme drought back on their toes? So the changes in climate, the weather extremes have increased over time, and this has truly affected uh, very many community community members within uh, the county. Adjusting to these changes needs proper policy planning, proper governance, institutional setup, and having economic activities or possibly even changes in livelihood systems. For example, moving from pure pastoralism to agro-pastoralism, which actually will also take time. But there is need for capacity building towards such activities so that these local community members are buffered from effects of uh, climate change. How do we make or design climate-proof infrastructures? Solar powered systems, those that are not working, we need to investigate why they are not working and uh, come up with models that can work better for these uh, community members. How do we even hand over our projects so that when we leave as development experts or development partners implementing these programs, the community members are able to adjust sufficiently to the changing climate variabilities within the region?
3: climate resilient development really has this long-term perspective as well um, of trying to deepen sustainable development um, in a way that both adapts uh, and mitigates uh, for climate change. Um, And especially the concept of climate resilient development brings out uh, four dimensions that are critical, uh, such as ecosystem stewardship, knowledge diversity, inclusion, equity, and justice. Considering some of the factors that we we have just discussed, how do you see them playing a role in this context and what are some of the the key challenges um, that that come?
0: Thank you for the great question. Some of those dimensions, um, for example, ecosystem stewardship, knowledge diversity, uh, inclusion are very critical in uh, ensuring that the adaptive capacity of the local communities are highly advanced. They are able to absorb the shocks that come with these losses related to climate change impacts. And they are able to themselves even design good programs that will help them adapt to adapt to climate change effects. For example, inclusion. We are in a region that is more, I would mention patriarchal, where men For example, in terms of resource governance, and if you go to the institutions, analytically you find uh, it's male-dominated. So how then do we come up with models or governance models that are gender-sensitive to ensure women are actively involved in the decision-making and policy-making processes and even planning and programming to ensure sustainability? Because that's the key issue here. By design, we have programs that have been designed very nice, highly expensive, and if you look at the number of NGOs working in the area, there are quite many. But after these institutions leave, after implementing their programs, the projects cannot last more than a year or so. For example, water projects, they end up collapsing. Reason is because of that issue on inclusion, involvement of community members knowledge diversity how do we train capacity build these local community members to be able to to manage programs by themselves and uh, it's important to mention that currently we have what we call uh, flock financing locally led uh, uh, adaptation programs by the world bank and the kenyan government trying to work with the local communities to come up with their own designs project designs and program designs that will be sustainable to these climate change impacts. These people know their own problems. They understand better these problems. Outsiders will not make decisions well for them. Therefore, such a program as FLOCA, the Financing Locally Led Adaptation Programs, is very critical because it has come up with very good systems. If you look at its process of uh, its requirements for, the, for, for accounting to be funded. You have to set up, have a climate change policy. You have to have a county climate change act. You have to have a county climate change financing uh, framework. Then you set up a county climate change steering committee. Then you set up a ward climate change steering committee. So the ward climate change committees develop, help in designing the proposals on initiatives they think will help them, with guidance from the various experts and technocrats, you know, county government. They come up with projects, they design themselves, they propose, these, one, these projects are then forwarded to the county steering committee, led by the governor and his deputy and other county bosses. Then from there, these are included within the other Plans, for example, the CIDP for funding. Floka then comes in and funds directly some of these projects for the, the county. And they prioritize. It's upon now the steering committee to prioritize on which project to fund and which one not to, given the scenario, the situation. You see, such a model is very important because it enables the local community member, local community household to be able to voice up their issues and contribute towards giving uh, information on what they think is necessary for them and will help them improve their livelihoods as local uh, community. And this kind of engagement also gives room for things such as uh, ecosystem stewardship and ensures there is equality and just equity and justice within knowledge contribution towards climate change governance. Everybody's involved. That is a, a, a process that has been lacking. And I believe through such an initiative, hopefully, uh, with good monitoring and evaluation systems set up by the national county and the World Bank itself, they'll be able to monitor progress made and how, you know, resilience is even achieved. That will really be a good platform to see how these community members are able to, to respond to the existing variabilities that's extreme drought and instances of flooding
3: and as you mentioned that um, this institutionalisation of of projects and local financing is is really contributing to helping the long-term sustainability of some of these projects Um, i was wondering as you also mentioned the question of inclusion um, how can um, these initiatives and the actors involved also uh, better contribute to to including um, often overlooked groups, such as, uh, I think you mentioned, pastoral women in Turkana?
0: The key stakeholders in the various sectors, leave alone the county government, the NGOs and INGOs and the faith-based organizations and the CBOs around, need to be very uh, hands-on in their policies and their strategic plans to ensure that women Gender issues are well covered. Just to mention, when developing their programs, especially the projects that they are going to implement within the county, it's important that these local community members are involved from the word go. They are well sensitized, they are aware, there is community introduction, there is community involvement, and those discussions are elevated to the level that they are able to contribute by saying what they really need, what they want for themselves. Then from that level, while designing the projects, the institutions, the NGOs, i and the organizations we are talking about are then able now to capture what exactly these community members said or indicated that they need before implementing the projects. There is also a very critical aspect here on handover. These projects, after implementing these projects, and as we capacity build the community members to ensure both men, women, and youths are involved, and even the disabled. How do we design the handover project to ensure that? The, sorry, the handover of these projects when they end, or when the implementing institutions leave. So there should be clear handover strategies with strong capacity building aspects on project management or governance at local level to ensure that everyone is involved, every community member is well involved and benefits well from the projects that have been implemented. This will ensure sustainability and it will reduce the losses we are seeing in some of the projects that are being implemented in the dryland regions such as Tukana.
3: You, you really provided some very rich expeditions and a lot of food for thoughts and important questions that both practitioners and researchers alike um, should really think about. My final question is, uh, how do you see humanitarian research in particular uh, contributing to these efforts?
0: Humanitarian research, I should say, is a very important part of uh, academic activity that intensively contribute towards uh, policy evidence-based policy development programming and planning in areas such as trukana for example we have quite a lot of challenges there are areas that are conflict prone uh, fights can erupt anytime in the far-flung regions or across across the borders and uh, carrying out research activities in such areas is not easy but if well planned and uh, well programmed and designed then they can substantially contribute towards development of policies and programs that are very uh, focused towards addressing uh, climate change uh, resilience i would say the are people would really i mean they are they are interests uh, people would really be interested in carrying out these research activities but some end up, you know, uh, fear uh, coming to certain regions. Like if somebody tells you to go to Capedo, for example, no, that's a hot spot. But it's an area that has been underdeveloped and people are experiencing extreme climate change related uh, challenges that could easily be addressed if we had sufficient evidence on what needs to be done with good recommendations and this can only come out of research activity so humanitarian research is a very important research a very important aspect of um, academic activity that would be very uh, critical in contributing towards designing programming planning and even financing of climate change resilient development
3: Thank you, Dennis. I'm very thankful that you took the time to, to speak with us today. Thank you. Thank
1: you for listening to the second podcast of this mini-series, analyzing humanitarianism through the lens of climate resilient development cases from Kenya. Today, we discuss the case of Turkana and some of the challenges hindering the planning for climate resilient development, such as conflict, lack of inclusion and public participation, and gaps in the institutionalization of responses and climate financing solutions. In our next episode, we travel to Samburu County and explore further other aspects of climate-resilient development in the Kenyan drylands. Our final episode features a conversation between experts in the field of climate change and humanitarianism, discussing further and bringing together the issues raised in these episodes.